Welcome to another session with the Market Dominance Guys, a program about the innovators, idealists, and entrepreneurs who thrive and die in the high-stakes world of building a startup company. We explore the cookbooks, guidebooks, and magic beans needed to grow your business. So let's get going. You're listening to the Market Dominance Guys with your host, Chris Beal of Connect and Sell and Corey Frank of Uncommon Pro. In this episode of Market Dominance, guys, Corey and Chris continue their conversation with a high beta market dominance practitioner, also known as the skinny kid from India, Max Sold CEO Sushi Paramel, starting with why he felt he could successfully start an airline and his escape route when that failed. We open with Chris tying together his tapping of the bells analogy and plunging into Sushi's story, which ultimately leads to Max Sold's growing success through a path of science, rather than simply tossing out millions of marketing dollars, hoping it will work. Worth discover is whether you should continue to engage, because the only currency we run out of all the time is time. And we get reminded of that all the time when something happens that reminds us all we have is time, right? I mean, we've all had events like that in our lives. And so... I just think it's fascinating that we we often think it's about money, it's about data, it's about analysis, but when you come right down to it, it's usually about being humble, believing in what you offer as potential, that you are an expert at something, you you have some value, and then having conversations to find out where the fit is. I call it tapping the bells. I think we've said this before, I'll say it again. If somebody presented you with the problem, I have a thousand bells but only 10 of them are bells, 990 of them just look like bells. And we're going to put a bell up in the bell tower and it's going to have to ring once an hour on the first hour, twice on the second hour. And by the time we get up to noon, it's got to ring 12 times. And if it's made of clay, it's going to fall apart. Your job, Sushi, without being able to do anything other than interact with the bells, is to figure out which ones are made of brass and which ones are made of clay. All you can do is tap the bells, right? That's the conversation. All you can do is have the conversation and see if it resonates. If it resonates, then it's worth moving forward and finding out if you like the other features of the thing. And I think you just have been exceptional at doing that through your career. Did you do that in the airline business? How'd you, I mean, that's, it seems to me if you had asked five people for advice about starting an airline, six of them would have told you not to do it. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the, the other skill. You know, like as you said before, I try to gather as much data as possible and then decide if I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> right? So, yeah, same thing with the airline. Like I was talked out of it by practically every single person I talked to about. And I said, you know what? Like I have all this data and all this information. So what's the worst that can happen? Right. So I, I did exactly the same thing this as I did with that, which is maximizing the opportunity while minimizing the risk. The escape route is this. So the worst that can happen is I need to wind things down. I have learned a few things. So similarly, with the use of the proceeds, we are trying to minimize risk, you know, with, with Rich and the conversation, next conversation I'm going to go with him is, is asking him, Rich, like, you know, this sounds amazing. Like you're clearly an expert with it. What can we do with third of the budget that's been presented? Could we do it? Could we work on a component that you're the most confident in so that we can execute on that, show some wins, and then double down on it? And then before we 10 exit, before we spend mm-hmm. millions on radio and TV, let's try to figure out the economics and the math, you know, the science behind this. 
once we get that formula, then then the problem shifts to uh, figuring out if this thing can scale. And at what point are we getting the diminishing rate of return? So yeah, so similarly, with uh, get back to the question about the airline, like I made sure that similar advice I got from people who are like, you know, strategic consultants, like I reached out to the founder of WestJet. I've read every airline book that's ever been written. <laughs> right? And figured, oh man, this is, there is a lot of risk to it, but being a pilot, give, having the accessibility, let's start small. And mm-hmm. I started small. I just put people into the, the Cessna 172, which was built in 1974, and did a viability test of flying people to local, to the surrounding areas. And yeah, this thing has legs, you know, there was demand. And now let's get this financed. And that's when we entered the last 2007, 2008 financial crisis. And then I figured, well, this is when to pack it in or put it on hold because it costs a bundle of money to finance an airline. Does that mean you're going to have an airline for us later? <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it still burns inside of you to do that. Oh, it, it does. And mostly because of the accessibility I have, I uh, want everybody to have it. Like, you know, Chris, in the lot last podcast, talked about going from Port Townsend to British Columbia, and he was, he was looking to, do I swim there? Do I get up on a paddleboard? I'm like, Chris, I can fly you up in 20 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the local convenience and the accessibility. Well, if the opportunity is still there, like, and I need to go back at doing an industry scan and and all of that, but I use the plane that I have access to on a regular basis. You know, that's how we built MaxSoul. We use a Cessna, like Chris uses Connect and Sell. It's like, how do we shorten the time to market dominance? Ah. That's brilliant. How do we get in front of as many people as we can mm-hmm. to, to shake hands, kiss the babies, and learn and see how we can help solve their problem? And, and when you get face-to-face with somebody, when you're actually doing a tour of these houses, of places they want to sell, you know, we make this go a whole lot faster than by any other means, right? And putting salespeople on the ground, training them telling them about our approaches, like all of that is just making those discovery calls in person, face-to-face is what we were able to do with with the Cessna. (laughs) That's brilliant. That's brilliant. So when you look at Max Sold and the airline, I think for a lot of the folks who may not be that familiar with you, Sushi, they're going to assume that uh, you come from a very wealthy family. You have access to unlimited streams of capital you were born with the proverbial silver spoon. So I think it would be helpful to kind of frame exactly what kind of great story this is. Let's start at the beginning. Where right. did you come from and uh, how did you end up as the auction king of North America? <laughs> not, not quite yet, um, but you know, we... <laughs> so, Heir so, apparent. I'm a skinny kid from India. We lived in a place that's no bigger than like in a half the size of this room with not very much at all. And strangely enough, I think that's fueled a lot of my entrepreneurialism because I saw my dad go from like a super tiny place with with not much at all to you know being able to golf every day and having chauffeurs and having the luxury so i knew that i've seen the evolution like every three to four years we would trade up move up you know live in you know better places drive better cars and i remember going from 
like being on a bicycle, you know, which is a way we like, I think he had a motorbike, but you know, not a, not a nice motorbike to having nice cars. And that didn't happen overnight. It took many, many, many years. That's my, you know, beginnings is, you know, not just learning and going back to what's the, how can we do more with what we have? Because that's all we are going to get. Like, you know, nobody's going to magically hand you a few million dollars to, to, you know, to start a company or do things. We just have to use what we have and go at it incrementally, iteratively, and slowly build up. Connect and sell. Welcome to the end of dialing as you know it. Connect and sell allows your sales reps to talk to more decision makers in 90 minutes than they would in a week or more of conventional dialing. Your reps can finally be 100% focused on selling since all of their CRM data entry and follow-up scheduling is fully automated within Connect and Sell's powerful platform. Your team's effectiveness will skyrocket by using Connect and Sell's teleprompter capability as they'll know exactly what to say during critical conversations. So come on, give your fingers a rest with Connect and Sell. Visit connectandsell.com. listening to the market dominance guys with your host chris beal of connect and sell and Corey frank of uncommon pro so you learned a lot of these traits from your father then how did your father's influence and the role model that he was kind of set you forth to kind of inspire you to do the airline and uh, do all the other things leading up to uh, Maxold? You know, growing up, and I've read a lot of books, but the prevailing mentality is stay within your lane, live within your means. But what I'd you know, been brought up with is it's not when everybody was taught Mary had a little lamb, I was taught think big. You know, like what's the biggest swing you can take to, you know, the world domination, market domination has been kind of drilled into me as a child, right? Like when I learned the alphabets, it was like, think big, world domination, you can achieve anything. So that gave me like an incredible amount of confidence where I was able to, you know, reach beyond my levels of intelligence and reach beyond what I think people have as artificial kind of you know walls and boundaries and ceilings around them. So I never looked at those kinds of things as limitations. I called up the founder of WestJet, the airline, and this is a multi-million dollar publicly traded company. Like I've you know called him up and figured out a way to get to him via networking and other things. And because that wasn't a, a boundary or an artificial thing that I had in saying, oh, you know, that person is inaccessible, like I know who am I to call him. I just said, you know, what's the worst that can happen, right? That answer your question, Corey, I just just the just the principles that I've been given and taught is to sure. is to think big and 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 do the market. And that's why Chris and I connected so well because world domination. <laughs> I think in one of our earlier episodes, uh, Chris and I talked about nature versus nurture from an entrepreneur perspective. And clearly the environment that you grew up with, your parents kind of gave you that raw material, that raw DNA. Right. to fuel. And so when a market dominance message from the likes of Chris Beal come into your world, it's already a snug fit. It's already a, a fully snug locking mechanism, if you will. So from your perspective on market dominance, knowing that Sushi is a fully high beta market dominance practitioner now, when you see uh, you're a dealer in math, you're a dealer in exponents, 
So what do you see is the path that Sushi has as he's on this market dominance? What can he expect from continuing to kind of adhere to these principles, so to speak, just from a theoretical laboratory perspective as an early practitioner here as he's dominated some of the markets that he's entered? Well, the first thing you can expect is that the parasites are going to try to come in because he's raised money. The number one risk hidden in every market dominance play is its attractiveness to parasites. So if I were to give Sushi one piece of advice, it's you're the immune system, keep the parasites out. And you know exactly what I mean, right? They come cloaked in talent and pedigree and in a huge amount of self-interest. You can tell a parasite when they say they're a team player. That's a guarantee in an interview. If somebody says they're a team player, they're guaranteed to be a parasite. So that's really very, very safe. You know, that's the spiky proteins on the outside of the virus that tell you it's bad. <laughs> Don't take that one in. Don't breathe that in. That one's going to kill you, right? So that'd be number one. Number two is, and I think Sushi already knows this, but it's really interesting. Look at cycle times before you look at throughput for anything that you're experimenting on. Dominance comes in general from driving denominators down rather than driving numerators up. Whatever cycle time you have now for some key activity, for whatever the bottleneck activity is, say it's customer acquisition would be an example, you want to figure out how to get the cycle time down and paying attention to throughput, how many of them I can make per unit time is a secondary thing. Get to throughput after you've dominated cycle time and you really understand the cycle time issues around the bottleneck. There's only three things we can control in business other than our attitude. And the company's attitude is generally controlled by the leader's attitude and the absence of parasites. <laughs> the leader's attitude gives you everything you need as long as the parasites don't come in and suck the life out of it. So leader's attitude, no problem for sushi. But Sushi has a really complex situation because he's got to do regional execution. It's an on-the-ground business. I've run one of these. I know what it feels like. They're, I'll call it, inherently heavy in a funny way. That is, even if the individual operating units are light, the nature of the business is that it's heavy because it has to be anchored in some place. There are cycle time issues around everything in that place, and there's cost issues that come with it. So, you know, figure, he figured out how to drive cycle time down in terms of using that Cessna, right? That's the thing you keep playing. The denominator is your enemy. Drive it to zero and you can get to infinity. That's what the math says in business. The numerator actually takes care of itself. The numerator is where you get more and more and more of something. So you get network effects, you get market dominance effects through referenceability, you get scale effects. All those effects show up in the numerator, but dominance shows up by driving the denominator down. You get a lot more bang for your expended effort. And so cycle time maybe on acquiring a customer or cycle time on setting up a new regional unit, those things are going to be really key. If you can really stay focused on that, because every piece of advice you're going to get as a market dominance practitioner is going to be what I'll call it numerator advice. Go get more of this. Go plan for more of that. Go to the channel because the channel is bigger than you are. Just all manner of things because everybody is used to grinding on the numerator. That's yeah, why, by the way, people don't understand this, this like, little... Let's put up billboards. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. It's real. It's really a. It's an interesting problem because our minds go to what we can see, and we can see growth in the numerator, and the denominator is invisible. We don't really see cycle times, but we only have cycle times, throughput, and quality. That's all we got. So once you figure out the quality equation, which you have to figure out first, it's like what's above threshold quality, and then stop thinking about quality immediately other than maintaining it. The next equation is how do I drive down cycle time on the core duty cycle of this business? Whatever it is that if I could wave a magic wand and have more of it, instead of seeking more of it, let's make the thing that makes it go faster. That would be it. Other than that, keep your experiments small because big experiments yield confusing results. It's not that they're expensive, which is a problem. It's that they're confusing. We had this just happen the other day here where we're doing an experiment around cleansing data or fix, you know, calling in advance to make sure that you only have to call on the good stuff, right? And we conflated that experiment with three other variables and somebody wanted to see if they could get this particular business value out of it internally and blah, blah, blah. And next thing you know, we got bad science, right? So keep your science clean. And that means small experiments because small experiments give clean results. Or at least they have a shot. That's it. That's all I can tell you, Sushi. You got everything. Well said. I'm going to, you know, replay this several times to my team <laughs> when the podcast comes out. <laughs> it does bring up the next tangent we can finish here with is when you, the business, as you've taken it over and as you've, we've talked about culture a little bit offline last week and things that you're, you're trying to do, certainly on the capital raise, things that you've been successful at. When you feel overwhelmed or maybe a tad bit unfocused on all the different parameters or variables or inputs in the business, what does someone like Sushi do to level set and regain that laser focus on the business? I look at it uh, you know, from a goals perspective. What is it that we are trying to achieve? What does the end in mind look like? And I just work backwards whether it's a market way to market dominance, whether it's making a decision on where we're going to set up a call center, like, you know, any of those things. And if it's overwhelming, I try not to introduce too much more information. I just look at what does the end state look like? How do we look, go at it with that end in mind? And then work backwards to figure out, you know, what are the pros and cons? Like, you know, what are we missing from the decision that needs to get made? That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, that's the essence of strategy, right? We've talked about strategy and market dominance guys before. Strategy is always a list of steps. And it's, a, it's essentially a plan to get to a goal. And the plan is not the tactics. The tactics are how you execute the steps. It's actually the intermediate steps. I call them resting places. If I get here, then I can see how if I were there, I could get over there. And if I were there, I could get over there. I compare it to crossing a river. I used to spend a lot of time with a backpack on my back in the big mountains without any support other than another guy and you know my legs and what was in the backpack, right? And you'd think the mountains would be the big obstacles, but it's not the case. It's the rivers that are the big obstacles. And when you come to a river, it's always unique. I mean, I'm talking about places where there are no bridges, right? No bridges at all. No human beings live there. Nobody's ever built a rope bridge. And so your biggest obstacle is always figuring out how to cross a river because swimming with the backpack is a bitch, I can tell you. And, uh, and talk about risk, you know, there's downside and there's no upside. You ain't coming back if you ever go face down in the water with 90 pounds on your back. The big strategy question was, okay, is there a series of rocks? Even if 
three out of the first five steps come back to, toward the current shore, as long as the ultimate path across the rocks leads to the other side, I don't need to get closer to the other shore with each step. I need to get to a place I can stand from where I can go to another place I can stand that ultimately leads to the other shore. And I think you're describing that process of saying, my goal is the other shore. Now, the easy thing is jump, right? Evil can evil it. But generally, that's not. If, if it were that easy, somebody else has already done it. Who cares, right? But you've got to figure out a path. I had a question for you about this. When you're trying to do that, how do you get stuck? And by stuck, I mean in the classics, in my classic model, right? The one some people have heard before, which is you're either in flow, stuck, or you're waiting. So when you're figuring out strategy, you're stuck because you don't know the path. So now you think you've got part of the path, but now you're stuck. What do you do with your team to get unstuck when you don't know what to do next? And that's probably the hardest thing that I'm often facing, which is the psychology of moving the people to the other side or, or the psychology and trying to figure out, you know, how do we as a unit, as a team, make that decision so that it's not a force of will, it's not somebody's opinion dominating. It's like, have we considered all the pros and cons and the risks so that we are not going face down into the water with a 90-pound backpack on our back? How can we articulate all the things that, you know, that go into trying to make that decision? Because when we've all been there, like, you know, there could be somebody in the team that has a big voice that they're trying to influence everybody, that their way is the only way. But as a leader, as a facilitator, I see my role as making sure that every opinion is considered. And I would probably run it by you, Chris, <laughs> or by somebody saying, here's where we are stuck. Here are the pros and cons, all the inputs we have. What are we missing from this picture? What are we not considered? What are the unknown unknowns? Because that's often what gets us, doesn't it? You know, looking at the unknown unknowns of the team and, and the psychology, or that's really the hardest component is to, is to make sure that's all well articulated. So there's something brilliant hiding in there that I really, I just got to get this out. Sorry to jump on it. But here, I just wanted to say this to all you entrepreneurs out there who are crazy enough to raise money, to open the, the poison closet and pull out a bottle of poison and say, <laughs> I'm going to survive it. You know, I have built up a, a resistance to Iocane powder. And, uh, you know, so, <laughs> it's pretty good for you, Corey, especially. Never go oh, yeah. to Sicilian when death is on the line. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. That's right. <laughs> so, here's something that I think is a fact. And I think it's, it, most entrepreneurs see this as exactly the opposite. The moment that money hits your bank account and you've closed that financing, I guarantee which state you're in, you're stuck. It, it, that's just a fact of the world. There is no way it could be anything else because you're no longer waiting. As you're getting toward a yeah. close of any deal, of any financing, there's always a period where you're waiting. That is, it's all done, but it's not done, right? That's why we have all this that ain't over till it's over kind of talk because it reminds us that sometimes we just have to wait before we start celebrating. Celebrating is not anything other than just kind of preparing for the next thing. That is, we're saying that's behind us, there's something's in front of us. But I guarantee you we're not in flow. We can't be in flow because being in flow means that I'm doing what I was doing before and I'm continuing to do it in a way that's effortless because I practiced it and it's all, you know, it's me now, right? 
but it's you is that's a previous you now you're the funded you and therefore you're stuck and i think that most entrepreneurs just don't get that they go i've got the money i put a plan in front of the investors i must know what to do let's go execute that plan which is the single stupidest thing you can do when you take money is to immediately execute the plan on which you raised the money. Yeah, or I must be a lot smarter than I thought I really was and everybody else saw through my ruse. Um, now what do I do, right? It's, uh, the, the money is a validation from my clear intelligence. Well, and I'm so impressed by Sushi because you anticipated being stuck and you started calling around. You put up a website so it'd be easier to talk to people, have the right people talk to you. You reached out to a number of us and you started really anticipating being stuck as soon as you were waiting, which is the smartest thing in the world to do is as soon as you're waiting and you know you're gonna be stuck, switch to learning mode because waiting's a waste unless you do something else. And the thing you should do is the thing that helps with the next thing. The next thing is guaranteed stuck. Stuck means I've gotta learn. So you just switched on learning, knowing you were gonna, you were gonna be stuck, so why not just act like you're stuck? And I thought that was, I just had to bring it up because I've never seen it before that in anticipation of a raise, you freaked out appropriately. <laughs> we had like a number of proposals lined up so that we can hit those buttons and, and execute on those many micro experiments as soon as the, you know, the cash hits the bank. That's pretty smart. So when, you, when the cash hit the bank, you weren't stuck because you'd actually treated yourself as stuck earlier. That's just so unusual. I highly recommend that to anybody foolish enough to raise money. Yeah, I have a feeling that Sushi, at this episode, you know, your Sushi Paramal website, you're going to be hit uh, with a lot of folks who are going to be hitting you up for mentoring advice, I think, because oh, you but, have so much it, to teach us all. So. Yeah, it was really set up so that I can learn from uh, folks like you, Corey, and, and Chris, and, and Oren, who I can hopefully get an introduction to so that I can continue to get all the way up to Richard Branson. <laughs> uh, there's a guy who knows when he's stuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Today's show is also brought to you by UncommonPro.com. Selling a big idea to a skeptical customer or investor is one of the hardest jobs in business. So when it's really time to go big, you need an uncommon methodology to convince others that your ideas will truly change their world. Through a modern and innovative sales and scripting tool set, we offer a guiding hand to ambitious leaders in their quest to reach market dominance. It's time to get uncommon with UncommonPro.com. Never miss an episode. Go to any of your favorite podcast venues and search for Market Dominance Guys or go to MarketDominanceGuys.com and subscribe. Subscribe.